Are you at a crossroads in life with unanswered questions? How does your past connect to your present life? October Hallam can help you discover how your past connects to your present and is shaping your future. October is an intuitive, healer, empath, and medium with over 20 years of experience helping people navigate through some of life's greatest challenges. A recent client from Egypt says, October is pure magic. We keep coming back for more and recommended her to our closest friends. If you would like to book a session with October, please contact her at theancientgift222 at gmail.com. Welcome back to Forbidden Knowledge News. I'm your host, Chris Matthew. Tonight, my guest is Jason Hewlett. Before I bring him on, let's get some announcements out of the way. First, I want to thank everyone that has donated to our relocation fundraiser. We're over halfway to our goal. If you'd like to donate, the links are in the description. Until the end of November, anyone that donates $10 or more is going to get a free three-month membership to our upcoming site. And any donation over $25 or more, and you're going to get a copy of Corey Hughes' upcoming book about the JFK assassination. And you can check out his website. Go to coreyhughes.org. It is going to be the definitive book about the JFK assassination. Um, I also want to thank Karen Holton. She offers many services to help out with not only your physical, but mental and spiritual health. She also offers the best quality organite pyramids and Zen domes. These things are amazing. Uh, visit her website by clicking the link below and check out all the services that she has to offer and finally subscribe to our official backup channel at lbry.com all of our content is already there the link is in the description please check us out there just in case you never know uh, youtube could just take us down any day now just like they're doing with many other channels tonight i want to welcome jason hewlett He's a journalist, broadcaster, and podcaster with a degree in filmmaking and film studies. He has more than a decade's experience as an investigator and researcher. He's experienced paranormal phenomenon since childhood and went on his first ghost hunt in 2003. He conducted his own investigations until joining Vancouver Paranormal Society in 2017, where he is now a lead investigator and society director. He is also the writer, director, investigator of We Want to Believe, which is a paranormal reality show that takes an un-Hollywood approach to the pseudoscience of paranormal investigation. Jason, welcome. How are you tonight? I'm doing great, Chris. How are you? I am very good. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. Yeah, same. I, I, I'm, a, I'm a fan of the show. I've been enjoying listening to your episodes. Uh, I can't believe how prolific you are. <laughs> <laughs> uh, really, thank you so much. I, I did pay you to say that, so that's okay. <laughs> no, uh, this, tonight's going to be fun. Uh, most paranormal investigations, uh, investigators rather, that I've had on uh, tend to generally agree that UFOs, paranormal activity cryptids, psychic phenomenon, and this uh, interaction it has with humans and our consciousness and all of the unexplained high strangeness that mainstream science won't even poke a stick at are somehow connected in some way because they, there are so many parallels and crossovers, as well as the new evidence that we have and testimony now that we 
have this modern technology and the internet. Uh, we're going to talk about this and much, much more when it comes to the nature of our hidden reality. But first, uh, let's start with what got you interested in paranormal phenomenon and high strangeness in general. Uh, it was a couple of things that happened to me when I was a kid, which is, I think, when it happens to a lot of people, you know, kind of have these experiences that, that piqued their interest. And I had kind of two things that went on that, that kind of really started at one when I was kind of, I was like, you know, maybe five, six, maybe seven. Uh, and I, we were, my mom and I were going to go pick up a friend of mine who was going to sleep over. Uh, and I waited in the car and my mom went to get my friend and was talking to the mom. And I remember waiting in the car and looking around the block that we were on and suddenly this face appeared in the back window like it was a hatchback so it appeared at the back of the car and it's like it was popped into view and then popped out of view um and it was this this face like i can still kind of see to this day like this weird horrible mongoloid kind of face and it just it freaked me out like and i, and I kind of just dropped to the bottom of the car <laughs> kind of thing and slowly went back up and, and sure enough there was nothing there um, and there was no sign of anybody on the street either like there's nobody around uh, my buddy walked up and I'm like, were you just hanging out in front of the car? He's like, no, I just got here, which made sense because I don't remember hearing anybody come and go. It would have made noise. Uh, and then my mom came up and I said, did she see anything? And she's like, you're probably just imagining it or, you know, just someone was walking by and you just didn't notice. So, but I, I, it was, I can, I can still see the face and I remember nothing. It was there and it was gone. So that kind of was the first thing that really kind of kicked off my interest. It was, it scared me and I can still think... Yeah, I even get goosebumps thinking about it to this day. It had that much of an impact. Wow, that and is very was, interesting. And since then, I mean, I, you, you said you, in your um, bio you had plenty of uh, childhood experiences. Uh, could you talk about maybe some of the other experiences you've had uh, besides yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. Um, another one, um, I was sort of at about 12 or 13, and uh, I'm up here in Canada, and in the summer we'd go to this cabin uh, that, that my parents had, and we'd go, kind of go there all year round. I remember going out there with a buddy of mine, and, uh, you know, I'm a, I was born in the early 70s, so we were free-range children. We kind of just went and did what we want. So my parents didn't care if we went and played out in the woods all day. And I remember we went out after dinner for kind of a final hike adventure in the woods. And there's a path we always took to kind of get to where we would end up go playing out in this kind of field and, and stand of trees. And we went up and we we're out playing and we decided we better get back. Dusk is coming. And we're walking back that exact same path. And underneath this one tree that we'd always go by, we saw it was like this little fire pit, a little lean-to, and inside the lean-to was this bone. And I'm talking everything was small, not doll small, but not like kid small either. It was somewhere in between. And we just thought that was really strange because we, we didn't see it earlier in the day. We didn't see it on the walk up, but it was there on the walk down. And we got a little freaked out by that because it was kind of dusk was coming and we we're like, that's just really strange. Let's get out of here. We went home, but it became the talk of the night. So first thing in the morning when we could kind of get up and get going, we went back to that tree and there was no sign that anything like that was there. There was even pine needles all over the ground. Like it looked undisturbed completely. Uh, so yeah, it's like, you know, you're talking about like, you know, everything connected and alternate realities. It's like something kind of phased in and then phased right back out again. Uh, and there was sort of that event. And then the one with, with me in the car were the two big ones that really, really struck with me. I'd always get like, you know, I was kind of empathic. I'd get weird feelings in certain places, right? That something wasn't wrong or that maybe, you know, I was alone, but not alone. Uh, I had, I, I believe like this unnatural fear of the dark as a kid. Like, you know, I, I'd wake up in the middle of the night thinking something was in the room and I have to turn on all the lights and check all the, you know, that persisted well beyond. I mean, I've got an almost nine-year-old. He's kind of in that phase, but he kind of came into it and he's going to go out of it. Mine persisted well into my late teens. 
even into my 20s when I'd live in other places. Uh, and those are kind of the big sort of things that really stuck with me until I kind of started taking more of a serious look at the paranormal. And then, in, you know, after my father passed away, started having incidents in the house that I grew up in that I took over as an adult and that he had built for my mom as, you know, to start a family. And they kind of came more into my late 20s, early 30s kind of thing. Now, what got you started actually uh, investigating paranormal activity? It was something like I was interested in it and I had no idea what to do, <laughs> you know, in terms of how I would go about doing it. And then when I was in journalism school, I went back to school in my late 20s, decided, you know, I floundered for a lot of years and, and did a number of odd jobs and said, no, I want to be a journalist. And uh, we were doing, there was a magazine writing course that I was in. And the whole point of that course is you spent the semester writing one magazine article that you'd want to submit. And I was like, well, you know, I wouldn't mind doing something for the 40 times uh, magazine out of the UK. So I was a big reader of that. So there is a place where I live called Tronchial Sanitarium. And it used to be a tuberculosis clinic during the early 1900s. And it was sort of a, a you know, a tuberculosis clinic sanitarium for soldiers after the Second World War. And then it became like a mental institution. And in the 80s here in British Columbia, they deinstituted everybody. Like they just let them all out. And the sanitarium remained closed. And of course, you have a place like that. It becomes like a, a just a home for stories and urban legends, right? So I'm thinking, well, it'd be really cool to go out there at night and spend a night out there just looking around and investigating. And I knew a guy that was the caretaker. So he agreed to let me in. And I found someone who had experiences out at the place. I brought along a skeptic who was in my journalism program. I found a TV news guy who could bring all the cameras. And then I found a psychic that was willing to go along. And we went out there and we spent like a whole night investigating. And that was the first time I really took any kind of hard look at any place. And it was interesting, Chris, because it was like literally like, you know, we went, we prepared, we got all our gear going, we got the batteries fully charged, we showed up, we got started, we got out of the vehicle, walked like 50 feet and all the light batteries died. <laughs> and then the camera oh, wow. shut off. So we had to go back and reload up. And all night we had stuff just like that going on. Uh, we had one location we were in it was like an old barracks it was turned into one of the wards and we were looking around we had power and then all the lights in the building went off and donna who was our psychic screamed and all the lights came back on and it was winter so we were wearing toques and you could see a toque had been pulled off her head and was just settling down like you could almost see the handprints on it just settling back down and so it was quite a night like it was quite a night full of stuff we had some stuff that wasn't paranormal happened that you could kind of like explain away but there's definitely a few things throughout the evening that we had activity, like especially around electronics and things like that. Yeah. And I was going to ask you uh, when it comes to uh, your work with the Vancouver Paranormal Society, what was some of the more compelling or even unexplained events that could have happened during some of the investigations that you were involved with? Well, we had one, there's a location we go to uh, called Bailey house here in the interior. Uh, and it's quite known in the interior as a, as a haunted place. A lot of paranormal groups go there. And it's actually for the, for the web series we're doing with the episode that just kind of came out today. We, it's all about Bailey House that we filmed there. Um, and Peter and I, Peter Wren, who's kind of the head of Vancouver Paranormal Society, he's been going there for years. And the first case he and I ever went on together, uh, which was early 2019, because I didn't get to work with him for a couple of years after joining Vancouver Paranormal. We went there. And almost right out the gate, like you kind of, typical paranormal investigation, you go and you set up, you get your gear ready, and it can take a few hours for things to get going. We started getting like EVPs, like right out the gate within about 20 minutes. 
um, without a spirit box, which is one of the tools we use. But we get like a voice that would just be, you know, like you'd, you'd ask a question and you'd get like, you know, I am Tom. Like, you know, you ask, what is your name? You get a legitimate answer. I had a spirit basically tell me to F off when I was sort of trying to ask it some questions. And the one thing that I thought was quite profound is in this room, it's a kid's bedroom full of like dolls from the 1920s, and 1930s. So there's porcelain dolls that always look at you and toys from that era as well. We had a, a little toy hammer go flying off a shelf and not drop, but I mean like fly, like a good portion into the room. And you could hear it. We even got it on audio, like click, click, click of it falling. Like one minute it was on the shelf, then it was on the floor, which was, I thought was pretty wild. And also in Bailey, we were down in the basement using uh, what's called a laser grid. And a laser grid, it just shoots all these points out. So it's literally what it sounds like. You have a pitch black room, the lasers go out into this crisscross pattern and anything that disrupts that grid is going to show up on the wall. So if something breaks that laser and we had the laser grid down in the basement, we're showing it around and there's a spot where it looks like, you know, a shoulder of someone breaks the laser grid. So I switched the lights on. There's nobody standing there. There's nothing in the way that could disrupt that grid. So I turned the lights off. The shoulder's still there. And I did that three or four times. And finally on the fifth time when the lights came, went back off, uh, it was gone. So it was like something stood there and then, then left, which I thought was really, really interesting. Uh, another place, it was, a, it was a hotel, rural hotel we were at. We were in the dining room. It was my first investigation with VPS, actually. I was still just sort of a, a test run to see if, I, if I'd work out or not. We had a motion detector on the floor during an EVP session. And they're asking questions and we're not hearing anything. Because a lot of times you don't hear it when you're there. You pick it up on your digital recorders after the fact. But we started, we did like, give us a sign of your presence. And suddenly like the motion detector would go off. Like someone walking in front of it, like back and forth. So it would make it, you'd kind of get this, whoo, you could follow the sound of it moving and then be nothing. And then it'd come back, like something pacing back and forth in front of this motion detector. And then down in that very same building in the dining room, we had, and I, I kind of laughed because it was the stereotypical get out you would get right in the middle of our session, but it was loud enough. There's four of us in the room. It was a big room. We were all spread out. Everybody in the room heard it without headphones or anything. It would just get out. That I thought was quite profound. And for that to be a first night out and to get something like that, I was like, oh yeah, it's game on. Like this is, yeah. this is fantastic. So those are kind of a few of the real big, those are kind of a few of the big things that have happened in the three years that I've been doing. It's not like on TV where, you know, things go always flying off shelves and people are turned upside down and crosses flip over. You know what I mean? I have nothing to that extent, but those were some of the big, what you call big in a paranormal investigative sense uh, so far. Very cool. Now you mentioned EVP and spirit box for those that may not know the difference or be familiar with some of the, this uh, equipment that you use. Could you talk a little bit about the difference and what they're used for? Yeah, for sure. EVP is, is just that it's an electronic voice phenomenon. And it's something we use. The digital recorder is kind of your main tool that any investigator uses because you always want to record what you're doing. Um, so you just get it. You can get a digital recorder anywhere. You can spend like 20 bucks up to several hundred dollars. And that's basically anytime you're doing what we call an EVP session. So you're in a room and you're trying to communicate with what's ever in there. So you ask questions. So before you go in, you want to do research. So you kind of know the location any of the stories, you try to ask questions that aren't simple yes or no responses. You want to get answers that make sense. Like at Bailey House, there was a past owner named Tom McDonough. So we wanted to get a name. So we got a name like Tom. It corroborated the story we had heard about Tom McDonough once owning the property. So you do that. And then and whatever you catch on your recorder is considered an EVP, electronic voice phenomenon. So that's, that's kind of what that is. 
A spirit box is, is kind of a communication device. It's still very controversial, but it's like a, it's an AM FM receiver that continuously cycles through AM FM radio channels. So you get a lot of noise. Like it'll kind of make like a chuck, 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 chuck. Then you'll get like pick up radio signals and stuff like that. So a lot of it, you have to, again, be very careful in what you're asking. But when you can take an answer as something more than just maybe noise, white noise, um, is when the chattering will stop. The noise will stop and you'll actually get a response to a question that you're asking. Again, an intelligent response. And so that's how the spirit box works. It's a good tool that way. Um, but you just can't count everything that it says as being accurate. You kind of wait. And then we've had bits where you hear the, the audio stop, you get a response and there's a voice. And we've had several times where it's like you actually communicate with something, the voice doesn't change. It's exactly the same voice. It'll go on for several minutes as you're asking questions. Um, so it's like you're actually communicating one-on-one -on -one, like you and I would be only, you know, I'm on one side of some reality, you're on the other and I'm getting, so we're having a bit of a conversation back and forth. So those are kind of two of the primary tools as well as like digital cameras and things like that. Yeah, and when it comes to the the spirit box, uh, I've heard you know skeptics argue that it could be you know any kind of interpretation from the the sounds or voices coming out of uh, the spirit box, and it would be hard to uh, you know kind of prove that it would be anything other than um, just this something random, uh, other than besides a, a an actual consciousness or something intelligent that you would be communicating with. Well, absolutely. And a lot of the times what we pick up, like we, we find it very compelling at the time, but we, do, we don't submit it as evidence because you, you're for that exact same reason. It's only when we get something like we're like I was saying, where it's like, okay, we're getting the exact same voice here. And it's responding to questions very specifically. Um, and even you can tell like the tonal change, like it's getting kind of mad, right? Because we're like, well, we're not leaving until you, you know what I mean? Like, then it's like, okay, we take that as something a little more accurate. I mean, we were in another place that we were investigating. It was like a social housing building. And there's a gentleman, like there's this whole conversation that had been going on at this place about some kind of demonic entity, which I hate getting into because I'm not an expert on that kind of thing at all. But someone had captured what was claimed to be a demon in a jar. This, this Aboriginal medicine man had captured it and left it with the owner of the hotel. We had a guy in one of the rooms that was always yelling at, you know, saying that he was being visited by some dark shape and it was a demon. And actually when we were doing the tour, he started going off yelling at this thing, swearing at it, you're a murderer, demon, blah, blah, blah. And then, of course, when we're doing one of our first EVP sessions on the spirit box, like, tell me your name. And you get, like, a demon. And it's just, like, really, but the de that, that voice sounded very electronic and magnified. So you don't know if it was some kind of fitting with everything else that was going on at this property. But it almost sounded like you were picking up a radio signal that that's just kind of the bit we happen to hear. A joke one of the people on the team makes is always, like, how do we know that it's just not some bored trucker parked on the side of the road and we're having to get him on the CB and he's just playing with us? Do you know what I mean? Like, right. you got it. And that's the thing with this this whole, I guess, pseudoscience is everything has to be taken with such a grain of salt because it's not something where you can, nothing is, nothing that we consider evidence you could put in a court of law and not have it argued away. The, the equipment we're using is very unscientific and you can't come up with a hypothesis and retest it over and over and over again. It just doesn't work that way. Um, but it's, we're trying the best we can with what we've got and, and kind of the, the, the field that we're playing around in. Talk a little bit about how um, We Want to Believe came about. It was, it was kind of born out of a conversation that Peter and I had. He's been approached many times by various networks to do kind of a paranormal TV show. Um, and he's turned them down pretty much every time because from 
because he used to be a part of taps which was of course you know like you know ghost hunters and all these other group tv shows that have been associated with it were and he just sort of heard through the grapevine and just you know that a lot of these shows even though they're, they're said to be unscripted they actually are and at some point they have to do something because you, you a lot of the times when you go to investigation you get nothing so you can't have a whole tv show where nothing happens so eventually you got to stage something or play it up for dramatic effect so that people keep tuning in and the ratings don't go down so he's always said no so we decided maybe the route to go is to do like a paranormal podcast, go out to these investigations, take all the audio that record, put it together, create like, you know, just a wraparound where Peter and I are talking about what we experienced playing the EVPs and that kind of thing. So on the first, so we were going to go ahead with that. And on the first time we were going to do this recording session, I did a Facebook live video just explaining, Hey, you know, we're going to do our record our first podcast investigation here, blah, blah, blah. I'm friends with a guy named John Fallon uh, who runs Arrow in the Head, which is part of the Joe Blow Movie Network. And it's one of the biggest movie entertainment sites on the web. Um, and he saw it and he's a filmmaker as well. And he's like, dude, like, why do a podcast? Why don't you do a YouTube show? Because we're just launching a YouTube channel, Joe Blow Horror Videos. We're looking for new shows to put on. It doesn't matter that it's not like a horror show or anything like that. That'd be really cool. And because back in the day I went to film school and I got a journalism background and I I've always been keen to do that sort of thing. I said, yeah, sure. That's a great idea without thinking how I was going to actually pull it off uh, or, or put a crew together. But I was lucky, you know, I, I could talk to Peter. He was on board as long as we kept it uh, accurate, you know, and didn't fake anything. And then just sort of through this whole process, I was able to come in contact with people through these other ventures I've done that had film backgrounds that had the right equipment. Uh, I've done an entertainment podcast radio show for 10 years so i knew people down in california that were editors and were willing to edit it and that's sort of how we did it so we actually ended up going back to the site where we recorded our first kind of podcast and filmed it so we kind of redid everything by filming it and carrying out another investigation which was actually the same location where we with the demon in the jar and the guy freaking out and getting the demon evp and that kind of thing and so that's kind of how the show came about and it's been the first one came out in may we've been shooting since february and it's been kind of an interesting growing process because you kind of figure out you see your mistakes and, and all that and when we first right when we first did our last bit of filming that's when COVID hit and the lockdown happened so we had to take what should have really just been like you know 20 minutes and stretch it out a lot more than we wanted to do because we weren't able to get back out filming again until May so it's been kind of just a learning growing process it's always evolving but the feedback we're getting from from sharing it with people in the paranormal community has been super strong and super positive and people are appreciating that we're just showing it as it's happening we're not faking anything and even at the end of every investigation which is usually about a, each investigation is about two-part episode we kind of compile what evidence we have we put it out there and we leave it up to the viewer to just decide if anything's going on or not we don't say yeah it's this and this is what's happening we leave because we don't know uh and i don't think anyone who's who's an paranormal investigator to call themselves an expert or pertain to know what's going on it's all just theories anyways so that's kind of we want to believe and and how it came about and and it's been a lot of fun it's been a fun ride so far yeah, it's very cool. And when it comes to paranormal investigations, most people think of, you know, the popular travel channel type over the top scripted, you know, and so-called reality shows or possibly the Hollywood movies uh, that mm -hmm. you were talking about earlier where people are, you know, thrown against the wall or thing, uh, you know, demons appear, whatever, whatever they're portrayed as a, in Hollywood. How would you uh, describe your investigations and process as compared to what, you know, as portrayed on TV? Uh, completely different. <laughs> it seems to be anyways, at least what happens on site. I mean, I think like when you watch some of the shows, I, I, I love those kind of shows, right? And, and, and uh, you know, I like the paranormal state a lot and everything and kind of up to a point, they are pretty accurate because like we go in 
we're usually invited to a home or a business. The people are there. They tell us their story and what's happening. You do a walkthrough. You kind of compile all, all the information that you've got and, and you interview the people there. So, I mean, if you watch a lot of those shows at the beginning, it's very much just like that. Um, but when we go in and investigate it, it, it becomes, again, in a way similar because you see these guys are walking around and they're asking questions. Um, with their their EV with their you know electronic recorders and sometimes they use a spirit box so they do Gansfield experiments or whatever. But we don't antagonize like you see in some of those shows. Like you know there's some of them where they just go and they're yelling they're they're screaming they're demanding these things come out or they're going to banish them. It doesn't happen that way. We're very respectful, and a lot of it is just sitting around in the dark or walking around asking questions. Very there's never yeah. It just doesn't get like if you look at the Conjuring movies, which I love. I love the Conjuring movies, but like I kind of joke, and that people start getting thrown around. And every one of the Conjuring movies, suddenly people are getting up and tossed around, and things are exploding, and windows blow. I've never seen that. And I think any paranormal investigator, if that started happening, they would get out of that building so fast. You know, they wouldn't just be standing there trying to, try to figure out what's happening. Anyone would, anyone would flee. Uh, so I think they're they're accurate up to a point, but then there's a, there's a bit where they have to produce. And, and if, especially if you're doing a work of fiction, like a movie, you've got it. People want to see the monster. They want to see the ghost. They want to see special effects. And there's just, I've never seen anything that dramatic. Most dramatic thing that I've, I've heard is you, you, you think you see a shadow maybe. And like, what's that? And you're like, Oh, cool. You know what I mean? Or you get an EVP. And like, even then when you get an EVP, like, like demon that we got, you just start laughing. Cause it's like, really of all the things you would get, like, it's just kind of amusing that way. Yeah, it would seem to walk that line of being plausible, but then they they take this turn. Yeah, it would seem to me that when you know, if you're going into an investigation that would appear to be some type of genuine phenomenon, that you'd want to have more uh, a respectful approach to to if especially if you're dealing with some entities that could potentially be dangerous, or Mm -hmm. you know, depending on uh, you know what's happening with this phenomenon. So yeah, it's uh, definitely uh, interesting that uh, you're going with that approach and and much better. Well, you want to be the way I look at it, and the way that uh, like Peter and any other many other paranormal investigators look at it is, how would you feel if someone comes into your home and starts yelling at you? And that's how we look at it, right? Like you go in, you're respectful. We come here, it's like okay, we don't mean any harm. We just want to communicate with you. We're just here to ask you a few questions. Just please give us a sign of your. Pre-. And that's that's literally how we we started, right? And at the end of it, it's like okay, thank we thank you for your time. Uh, you know, please you're not please don't follow. You're not welcome to follow us home. We're leaving. You know, and you're friendly about it, right? Um, it's very rare. I mean, we have, we've, even then, though, we, we've picked up angry voices that, that don't want us there. And, you know, well, at one point, if that's happening, it's like, all right, well, if you, do you want us to leave kind of thing? And if it, we get like a definite yes, it's like, okay, we're out. Like, we're, we're going to go. We're not playing with that. Because even though it's, life's not like Hollywood, and I doubt that suddenly this portal to hell is going to open at one of these locations, we're all going to get sucked in. You don't want, you are playing with something you don't understand. And you have heard of people who have been harmed by things, or at least, you know, tormented the point where they're very upset, you know what I mean? And it can be, can really disrupt their lives. And we don't want that. We've been to places where people have claimed, you know, they said that they, you know, they don't like it. They don't like this going on. Um, and, you know, there's some, sometimes you do come across dark things and you got to be really careful about that. Now, ghosts, hauntings, spirits, demons, cryptids, even interdimensional beings, they've all been topics of my show. I want to get your insights into some of these, uh, starting with ghosts, ghosts and spirits. Now, do you believe that there are times when it comes to people that claim to have seen or interacted with a ghost or spirit that 
they're dealing with a true spirit or energetic consciousness of someone who has passed away, or are we dealing with something different? Um, what are your thoughts on it? Kind of got, I, mean, I kind of got two, two schools of thoughts on that. And one of them, and it's one that, that I really, I'm beginning to kind of really lean towards. Like I, I like to think of myself as an open-minded skeptic. Okay. But at the same time, I have seen, like, like I said, I took over the house that my dad built. Um, and it, you know, he built it. And I always felt the presence there after he left. And I remember one time being in a room talking to a friend of mine who had never met my dad. But he was kind of like, oh, you know, talking about him and getting to know him that way through stories. And he actually said to me, my friend, who like, well, do you ever think like that maybe he's still around? Kind of thing. And I, I don't know. I'm not really sure. And all the lights in the house went out. They didn't go out on the street. So it wasn't a power outage. Other houses were lit, but they, all the lights in the house went out. And I don't know what prompted me to say it. I said, look, dad, not now. And all the lights came back on again. And I've seen things and I've heard things down in his workshop basement that sound like him. I even believe at one point I saw his shadow or something that looked like him walk down the hall from his bedroom downstairs to the basement where he worked at. So there's a part of me that really believes that these are, at least in some cases, being people that have passed away that for whatever reason are choosing to stay or, or they can come back. In, in some sense. I think... A lot of it has to do with electromagnetic energy. I think we're all beings made of energy. The earth has an electromagnetic field. Uh, we have electromagnetic energy in us. And I think when we die, that energy has to go somewhere. And why couldn't it just kind of get mixed in with the energy? Almost like a tape recording. Remember back in the days of like the old audio cassettes where you, you could record and then you could record over it. But sometimes you're listening to a recording and you can hear a past recording faintly in the background. I think it's something like that. And then some of that just becomes residual. So it's something that just repeats itself over and over again. So in certain places, if you go to a certain time, some, something will just replay over and over again. It could be the same motion of walking down a hall or a door opening, closing, whatever. And then for whatever reason, there's other ones that are intelligent and maybe the, that energy can interact with us in some way. And I think that's kind of where you, the, in that sense where a lot of these kind of hauntings or alleged hauntings or activity could come from. It's just the energy of, of a dead person left behind playing itself over again yeah uh, and P if i peter will say the same thing a lot of investigators are well know it's kind of where a lot of people are leaning towards that's actually what i was about to mention it's like some sort of energetic memory that that that's on like a, a replay uh mm -hmm. it's very interesting like uh people would go to places that uh, have had civil war battles and all of a sudden they'll be in the middle of a civil war battle uh yes. things like that happening are very interesting I agree. And that's like the same when I, I believe that I saw like my father walking down the hall. He would do that walk all the time in the bedroom, just back down. And so how could that, maybe that is just him happening to replay at that moment. The thing with the lights really threw me for a loop though. Cause I mean, that was, that was interacting with me, but I always looked at, was very much a practical joker. He liked to play jokes on people. So it fit right into his, his personality uh, sort of thing. But on the other hand, there is what you were mentioning earlier that in some way it is all interconnected all these different phenomena that people are seeing, which John Keel touched on that, you know, in the Mothman prophecies and he wrote about it in several other books. And part of me is also leading towards that. But I think even that, like we're calling it all paranormal or supernatural, but I think it's a very natural thing that's probably been around us since the dawn of time. If you read the Bible, they mention spirits and UFOs and all this kind of stuff, you know, chariots of the gods. So I think it's all been around us. We're just not sure how to react to it. And maybe back in the day, 
we did interact with it more and just took it more for granted. Whereas, you know, we've developed, you know, different schools of thought and science and all this stuff. Um, and we live in a different world than we did many hundreds of years ago where we've got all this stuff vying for our attention and we're just not switched in on in that way. I mean, Colin Wilson, an author who wrote a book called the occult called it faculty X. And I think that that kind of plays into things too. And then you could get into multiple dimensions and all that stuff, which I'm not an expert on, but right. I think that could also be a part of it, you know? Yeah. I, I happen to lean towards that as well, that there's this whole spectrum and this whole sorry, type of realm and world beyond the spectrum of our vision uh, with, you know, light teeming with life that could be any type of entities. Uh, and that's very, very fascinating to think that, uh, you know, there is actual other consciousness, uh, you know, that is actually here that we used to interact with. Uh, we used to, it used to seems like the ancients used to interact with uh, plenty of different type of uh, strange, you know, different intelligences and consciousness. And we did uh, at some point just shut ourselves off. Um, but there is a, you know, a lot of interesting things happening now where it's kind of like uh, an uptick where we're starting to get more interested in things like this uh, on a global scale, it seems a little bit. I, I agree. And I think, I don't know quite what it would be, maybe just because we're now living in, in so much difficult times. You know what I mean? Like it, the world's a really, you know, especially with this pandemic and everything, but even leading up to that, we've hit, we've hit sort of an era almost like since 2000 on of spirituality, it, it would, but in a, you know, in a good way, like people are really wanting to look and understand more like, cause I think we we're looking at the world that we have and there's gotta be more to it than just this, right? Like, I mean, you know, we're not just sort of born to kind of do, live in this system and then we die, get old and we die. So I think there are, people are kind of interested in what else is going on out there. And I even think science is becoming more interested in what's going I mean, they're looking at string theory and how time really works. And they, you know, science has even shown that there are different multiple dimensions out there. They're, 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 they're actually, the scientists are actually saying, yeah, we believe there's more going on here than just our reality. And who's to say that that's not crossing over into ours and interacting with us. And maybe when we were, like you were saying, back in the, back in the way back, we did a lot more and then we've just been distracted for, for a few hundred years kind of thing. But we're kind of coming back to that. And you hear about some of the work being done at like Skinwalker Ranch is kind of really touching on portals and dimensions and just kind of all this other stuff. And, and that's a very much a melting pot area for all these also phenomenon coming together as well. Poltergeist activity, cryptids, UFOs, all that stuff. You mentioned, uh, you know, moving objects earlier and how you actually witnessed, uh, you know, something flying off a sh uh, shelf or moving. What do you think is going on there? Do you think that is some type of conscious interaction? Um, I know I've heard the term poltergeist. Uh, what are your thoughts? I think that felt very conscious because we were trying to communicate with something. And it's almost like, you know, when, when a kid's hiding, but he wants to get your attention, he'll throw something at you. So the fact that it was like a little toy hammer in a kid's room just really seemed that there was a thought involved with that. Um, it wasn't just something random. And so, yeah, I think, I think, it, they, they, I think whatever's there wants to communicate with us. It would be only be natural, especially if, you know, we as a society used to, and then they're probably wondering, well, why did you guys stop? <laughs> or like, or why so many people just ignoring us, right? So I, I yeah, definitely think that in that sense, it's very conscious that way um and not just sort of some random thing i i don't think anything that could involve an object moving would just be a random act i think there's a purpose behind it most definitely 
Now, I've also had a few uh, paranormal investigators that have had similar stories that uh, they would go to investigate at a house that they're having, you know, some sort of turmoil at domestic violence or just negative energy in general. And these strange things didn't start happening until this turmoil started, you know, t- upticking. Um, have you experienced anything like this where, you know, there'll be some kind of uh, disruption in the home, violence or something like that. And then all of a sudden this negative energy starts to occur or, or they'll have a haunting or something. Uh, I haven't experienced it quite to, like in that sense, right? Like, or there's, we've been to a place where there's been a domestic problem and then things start to happen. But we have investigated, um, we, have a, we had a residential school system up here in Canada. So where a lot of Aboriginal children were taken away from their homes and they're put into these schools and forced to be, you know, Western, <laughs> Western society. And there's lots of stories of abuse, et cetera. And I've been in a residential school that we investigated and we had stuff happen there. And Vancouver Paranormal had been there, has been there a number of times over the years. And that's where they've had stuff, a lot of activity definitely go on. That's where there would be, if, there, if you're going to see a black mass shape, that's where people are going to see it, is in an environment like that. And even more aggressive sort of behavior. Like he, Peter was at the same school. He was walking and he was sort of just talking before they, even the investigation started. And he was like, oh, wouldn't it be kind of, imagine if something just kind of came out and touched us here. And something like something grabbed his hand and tried to pull him to the ground. Like you just see his body jerk and, and move that way. So that's, that's I think, an environment. Yeah, I, I, there's definitely a, a very much a strong belief system that a negative place is going to leave and create negative energy. Then you're probably definitely more likely to cause more negative energy to come in the form of spirits. You know, the whole misery loves company kind of thing. And if you're in a positive place, you're, you're, you're far less likely to have any. If you're going to have spirit activity, or you're, it's going to be less malevolent and probably more benign now when it comes to the more malevolent spirits or dark entities or even what people would call demons Mm -hmm. um you know what are your thoughts on that do you think that there are actual um different types of negative entities that are uh somehow capable of possessing a human being uh something that was, you know, never human, or is it just a dark spirit? What are your thoughts on demons and, and possible possession or spiritual attachments? Well, it's interesting because I was listening to your, your conversation last week with the gentleman who knew all about that. And I was like, oh, I bet she's going to ask me something. <laughs> what am I going to say about that? <laughs> I'm, not, <laughs> I'm not a particularly religious person. And I, and I know a lot of people who do look at demons that, 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 that whole specific topic are, are usually more, there's more of a religious belief that, that plays into that. Um, and, and, and fair enough. I, I have total respect for that. Um, I look at it. If you were a good person in life, you're going to be a good ghost. If you were a prick, you're going to be a prick. You know what I mean? And so I look at it as more, if that activity is going on, it is more just a negative, angry spirit that's just being malicious because it can, it was like that way in life and it's going to be that way now. However, uh, Peter is an investigator for an ordained exorcist out of Washington State. So he's the guy that goes in beforehand and does all the interviews to see if anything's going on that is actually demonic. Um, And he doesn't believe in demons either. (laughs) So he's kind of a good person to go and do that. But he's actually had, and and he and I talked about this many times, one case where he wasn't quite sure that it wasn't. The, the early stages of possession in this home to the point where they even picked up um, like in a lot of movies 
it's kind of Latin is the language used by, by demons, you know what I mean, in, in movies. But it would actually be Aramaic if you read the Bible. And in this girl's bedroom that he was sort of doing these preliminary investigations, the word demon was scrawled on the wall, but in Aramaic, a language that's not taught in school. And that's not, it's just not common. People just don't, don't, don't use it at all. And he just said from the behavior he was, he was seeing exhibited in, in, in the girl and, and everything like that, that he was, there was part of him that was starting to think that there could be something actually going on here in some form of possession taking place. But from, from all my years of paranormal investigation, all the people I've talked to who've done it, the research I've done, if something like that does exist and does happen, it's like one, it's like that odd one out. A lot of the times it's, it's, probably just an angry ghost or it's a mental health concern or an addiction issue really playing up. But there's the rare case that it seems like there is actual legitimate, legitimate demonic activity. And, and I think a lot of that, if, cause I know people who've even had mental health issues who believe that they're possessed. So the best way to treat it is the best way to treat it is as an exorcism because the person actually believes they're possessed. So if you treat it with an exorcism, that'll br almost break that psychological barrier right and actually help cure the person of their mental illness um, so i think if you're a person who believes that there could be possession and you start having issues that you're going to be almost believe yourself into that state of mind i think the mind's a pretty powerful thing that, that's kind of where our my loose belief system in that regard kind of comes into play there i think it, i would i would i hate to use the word love to experience something like that like but i would if that's happening i would very much want to see it just to have that that little bit of doubt in the back of my mind put to rest you know what i mean okay because if there's there's demons then there would be angels right and then there's a whole other system out there a whole other world of possibilities i i think i part of me really would like there to be that side to life i just haven't been in a position where i'm ready to quite grasp that yet right well well said now you mentioned uh while we're on the spirit topic of uh demons you mentioned a demon jar and you did a uh, an episode about this talk yes. a little bit about this uh episode it's pretty interesting well yeah that was and that again that was the one that was we'd originally done that as the podcast uh so we'd gone in so we heard about the demon jar and what the demon jar was okay this place it's, it's now used for social housing but it used to be a hotel so it had like a main bar at the front and another bar at the back and then the hotel above and the one main bar is still open. I don't know why they'd put a main bar open in a place at social housing, but whatever. Um, and there's a patron that would come in there. He was an Aboriginal man and he fancied himself a medicine man. And he went up to, to Reese, who was the manager and our contact there. And he had this jar where the lid was taped up. And he says, every time I come in here, <clears throat> there would be this spirit, this demon that would harass me. So he's, he's like, I caught it and I put it in this jar. I've sealed it. And he goes, I'm going to give it to you. Don't open it. That seemed strange, but okay. So there is this jar. So we, when we went back to film it, we got him to break out the jar. <clears throat> and it was about, I can't show it, but it's, you know, it was a small jar, empty, completely empty. But over the course of our investigation, it would, almost like humidity inside it, it would, condensation would appear inside the jar, even though there was no airflow and no moisture. And then that would all just disappear and it'd be completely clear again. And that happened three or four times throughout the case of us filming throughout that whole day. We were there all day, which I thought was interesting. And then that was also the place where there was the guy in the room when we were doing the tour. Just starts losing it, like swearing at something and, and you know, calling it a demon and a murderer and get out of my room and go away and all this stuff. And we actually stopped. We actually have it on film. This guy, we didn't go into the room, but we have him. You can hear him. And... The manager's like, this was, happens from time to time. Something comes and visits him and he loses his mind and he's yelling at it and he's trying to drive it away. 
Uh, and that's also where we picked up Demon on the Spirit Box. So it was like, despite our best efforts, it, all, it seemed like there was just this narrative around this demonic figure in this hotel that's now used for social housing. Uh, and that kind of became the crux of the, that episode. I think it ran about three parts, three, four parts. We also had in that one, there was a woman that was staying there named Holly who ended up hanging herself in the building. We actually got her name through an EVP session as well. We were trying to find out, you know, who's here? Is there someone here? Yes, there was a woman's voice. Well, what is your name? My name is Holly. We got that as well. So it was kind of these two things that kind of tied in. And Sarah, one of our investigators, right before Demon showed up on the spirit box, she picked up a growl through her headphones. We were in a completely different part of the building. Wow. We got a message. We just got Demon on the spirit box. And I'm just like, Sarah just heard growling. <laughs> just, we didn't want, because we tried to be an un-Hollywood trying to present us. Of course, our first time out in the first three episodes are all about this demon figure at this hotel, right? Like, I mean, it was just like, what are the odds? But it made for interesting, compelling stuff. Like, it, it really did. Yeah, that is very interesting. Yeah, go check that. I'm going to leave the uh, links to that in the description, of course, to uh, all the, uh, the shows you've done so far. Oh, I want to jump into cryptids and get your thought on those, especially uh, Bigfoot. Because, man, I, I still can't wrap my head around the, the whole Bigfoot thing. Uh, first of all, you know, in all the, the Bigfoot shows and Bigfoot hunters, we, we never see anything. Um, no. We get a few footprints here and there. Um, but those, you know, that, that's not really compelling enough evidence for me. But there are personal encounter stories that are compelling to me from very reliable sources that, uh, you know, are very interesting from the descriptions they have to the experiences they had with these beings. Uh, so what are your thoughts on Bigfoot? Do you think that this is a supernatural thing or is this some sort of uh, lost, uh, uh, you know, type of hominid that we had here or, or what's going on with Bigfoot? <laughs> I, I hate trying to solve an unknown with another unknown. So I'm always hesitant to lump Bigfoot in with UFOs and all that. Although there's a big camp believing in it. And if you're to believe that it's all interconnected, then sure, why not, right? But I, I, I do lean toward it being a physical thing um, out in the woods. I mean, especially if you come up to parts of British Columbia or even the Pacific Northwest, there's so many areas that are just so uncharted that people just don't go. I mean, it's possible a small camp of creatures could hide out somewhere. I have never seen one, much like yourself, uh, nor have I heard a cry, like a Bigfoot cry. But I know people who have, and, and actually someone I know is, who, for one of our episodes, we, we've gone out and done a, a couple Bigfoot shows that are coming up. Um, and they, they, the people that we interviewed, they, would, they, they swear they saw it. They even played an audio recording of one of its cries that they heard it. One location where we went up to is this lake, uh, about 55 kilometers north of where where i live um where a guy who's gone fishing almost every year for 20 years he's out in the boat he comes to a part of the lake and he gets the wood knocks the three knocks the bang 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 that's supposed to signify bigfoot's there and trying to communicate or warn you off and every time he goes he hears it and as soon as he kind of gets away from that part of the lake it stops so we're like all right well let's go and so we get this guy and we go up there and we get in the boat and we head over to this spot where all, this has been going on for 20 years and nothing happens. And we even try some knocks of our own, nothing. We even go for shore. The first time this guy's even gone to shore, right? Walk around, nothing. He even tries some knocks, nothing. But we're coming, as we're coming back, the one member of our crew, Sean, stayed behind because there just wasn't enough room in the boat. And he's like, we're getting close to shore. And he's like, did you hear the knocks? And I'm like, no, we didn't get anything. He's like, no, no, they were right over here. 
So when we were going across the lake, he actually picked up the knocks on his side of the lake, the complete opposite side, which ties in to Bigfoot or anything paranormal where you go looking for it, you don't find it. It's almost like you say there's this intelligence and it just moves someplace where we're not, but it still leaves kind of a mark. So we actually got those knocks on audio and video that Sean heard. So I can't rule out the knocks. I don't know what it is. Is it Bigfoot? I don't know. But it happened round about the spot where this was supposed to be going on. Not the exact spot, but a spot where it was supposed to be happening. So yeah. I think I would I I think the world would be so much more interesting if there was a Bigfoot in it. <laughs> Does that make sense to you? Like I, oh, yeah. I don't want to rule it out because I know so many people have had these these, you know, experiences. And I mean, and it's it's not just happening in one part of the world, it's all over the world. People are seeing and experiencing something. So I think something's gotta be there. Um and, you know, and I, would, I would love to keep looking for it. Uh, you know, I think that would be really, really cool. We're, but we're a paranormal group, so we don't tend to go out and hunt monsters very often, right? But, I mean, for our show, we did it, and I'd like to kind of do it again and keep trying. Right. Um, you know, and, and, I mean, then you get into lake monsters, which, I mean, that's a harder one for me to swallow because a lake's a smaller body of water. So how could something survive in a lake? and not be seen like every day, you know what I mean? Or surface. But I just like, I've been to Loch Ness, you know, and I've been to Lake Okanagan where Ogopogo is supposed to be. And I've always, I always look and I never see anything. I've got an uncle that said he saw Ogopogo once, but I mean, that's, he said he saw it. There's no picture to go along with it or anything like that. But again, I, I just think it's so much more interesting to think that there, something could be there. And that's where once again, the multi-dimension alternate, you know, thing could play in like who's people have seen, Sasquatch tracks in snow go halfway across a yard and then stop. And First Nations Aboriginals believe that it's, it is a supernatural thing. So who's to say that it can't just pop in and out of our world? Same with, you know, the UFO that you see in the sky moves in an angle, it just goes up and blip disappears. You know, maybe Nessie dives down under the water and just pops somewhere else. I don't know. Like, I, I, I'm getting into a whole area I'm not an expert in. I don't know if I believe it. But that kind of makes me a little more hopeful for the idea of possible multiple realities, dimensions, whatever you want to call them, right? Right. And that all these things go somewhere else, maybe. Yeah. And Ian, I know you're not a big UFO guy, but you did mention it, so I want to talk about it for a second. The, um, when it comes to UFOs, the whole field, to me, I think, needs to come together more because there's so much just – first, there's a lot of disinformation, a lot of misinformation. We got stuff coming from our government and uh, media officials that we're supposed to believe you know, is supposed to be real phenomenon and, and swallow that because the government always <laughs> tells the truth and we should always believe what they say. So, right. yeah, we got that aspect of it. Um, and then we have the, the whole abduction aspect, um, the psychic phenomenon, the consciousness aspect where people are being, you know, going to different places in their sleep and speaking with aliens. There's so much to this, uh, the whole UFO abduction phenomenon phenomenon um, especially when you get into people who get implants and claim to have uh, you know gone on ships and seen hybrid children uh, so this thing gets really big and really weird and that's why it's so hard to get a grasp on the whole UFO phenomenon but I, I still think that it is connected to this whole interdimensional or other reality that could exist just beyond the spectrum of our vision I'm not sure that uh, we have little green men come and visit us in tin cans from across the universe but there may be something you know just outside our frequency or something going on there uh so I'd, I'd just like to get your 
thoughts on what's going on with uh, the UFO phenomenon. Well, I, I'm, I'm kind of in the same camp as you are on that, Chris, because I, I you know, I, for one, I mean, it, it's human uh, ignorance to think that we would be alone in the universe, but I have a hard time. It's also human arrogance to think that we're so fascinating that some creature that can create a ship that can travel all the way across the galaxy would stop and find us all that interesting. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I just, I have a hard time with that. Unless we are a colony of, you know what I mean? Then we get into that whole, this is just kind of, woo, we're a colony of theirs and they come back and check on us. Um, but I, yeah, I think, I think it's, it's definitely plays into this, this again, parallel. I, I, it make perfect sense that that's just how they travel back and forth from one reality to the next in these craft. And if you look at it, a UFO phenomenon, again, has been documented all through human history, but it was described back in ancient times as chariots because that's how we traveled and then in victorian time it was described as zeppelin airships which were kind of would be the high-tech thing then now they look like stealth bomber spaceships so i think whatever that is has always been here and always been interacting with us it just matches where we're at in time so it's not so far out that we're not freaking out right because when ufo started to show up during the 50s there was definitely a spy plane program going on the cold war was on the russians were spying on the americans the americans were spying on the russians and they were using high-tech craft to do it they've admitted to that so the best way to blend in is to look like these high-tech craft that are flying around already and then it, you know what i mean and then it just we aren't taking you know they're, they're just can blend so i i definitely i find it easier to accept ufos as something that's not from space, but it's from some kind of other part of our reality. And that we're just, that's how we're seeing it. And it would make sense then that, that all this other stuff could be in some way connected to it as well. I come, keep coming back to John Keel's thing, though. I can call them ultra beings or something like that. Terrestrials, yeah. Yeah, ultra terrestrials. And they can, they just adjust how they look at different times to interact right. with us. So that it's just easier for them to do that. And they're kind of playing around with us too. They're obviously smarter. They can jump from one plane to another. And uh, it's like their little experiment kind of thing, which to me makes kind of sense, right? Like we're kind yeah. of still poo throwing apes to probably to these, these guys. Like it's. Yeah, it's it, it is fascinating when you start to, to look at it. And, uh, you know, like you mentioned that over the years, the phenomenon's kind of shaped along with our evolving consciousness. Uh, but what makes the UFO thing most difficult nowadays, I think, is the military aspect that they have so much tech that they're not telling us about. And we may not be able to tell the difference between our own military stuff and some genuine phenomenon. So that also adds a little bit of confusion and and uh, problems for the, for the investigations and the whole phenomenon in general. You're right too, though, um, that the, the, the people investigating it don't work together well. A friend of mine who's part of the show, Sean, he's an executive producer and does the music. He's a big UFO guy. And he used to belong to like these, these groups that, you know, in the chat rooms and on their website. And he said, why don't we all just pick a night? We all go out, we pick a part of the sky we all point our cameras and telescopes and all that just at this part of the sky. So if anything happens, we'll see it from all different parts of the world. And then we can say, okay, there definitely was something there. And everybody just told him he was nuts. Why would we want to do that? You know what I mean? Like they just didn't almost like they, it's almost like, I and mean, we get it actually in the paranormal investigation field. No one paranormal investigation group works with another one at all. Very well. Because everybody wants to be that group that's, that gets the big aha moment. But one group of 20 people, isn't going to get that aha moment. We all got to kind of team up and work together if we want to kind of 
present anything serious that science is going to take a look at because we've got to face the fact that we're not going to have any credibility until science gets on board and just goes, holy cow, yeah, you guys got something and it's real. And now we're all going to look at it. Right. So I, I think, yeah, there's, there needs to be this better unity amongst everyone investigating this kind of stuff if we're going to actually end up, ever end up finding anything. Earlier, you had mentioned that uh, I believe you brought a psychic along for one of your uh, investigations. Is that something you normally do is do you have psychics join you in your investigations? No, we don't. Actually, it's very rare. Hang on. I got a cat. <laughs> I see that. Good kitty. Uh, no, it, it, we tend not to. Um, a lot of the times, like we did bring one along on uh, one of our investigations for the show. I, I did when I went on my own because I didn't know any better at the time. But the big thought is, and I agree, that not a lot of psychics, are you can't trust them. A lot of them aren't, they don't actually have an ability. They're con artists. They're, they're trying to make a buck. Like if, if you, any psychic that's charging you money, same with any ghost paranormal investigation group that's charging you money to investigate, just run. Because they're not doing it for the right reasons. Um, so I think any, if, if a psychic comes along and they want you to pay, you can't trust them, but there's a small percentage of them that have legitimate abilities that are accurate and they know what they're doing, but we try not to use them at all because we don't want what they say to influence what we're investigating. So the time that we have used one, we went in first, heard everything, kind of got, did all our stuff and then brought them in to see if they could corroborate what we had found. Uh, and it was it worked. It, she actually got did a very good job of, of getting a lot of it quite act, quite right. But I wouldn't go out. That wouldn't be the first thing I do. And that's why in these shows when they bring in a psychic and all this, like it's it's more for I think for dramatic effect. And if if you did bring one in first, even if they were legitimate, they're going to say things that's going to influence your judgment. And every investigation and every investigator should have a clear mind going in and no preconceived notion of what's going on there because you can convince yourself of anything. Uh, we're already going into places that are supposed to be haunted. So you're already almost primed for something to happen in your mind. So you want to be as kind of aloof and, and clear of mind and skeptical as you can going in. Yeah, you're absolutely right about it. Psychics, especially the ones that I've uh, interacted with. Um, you can tell which ones have genuine abilities uh, by basically if, you know, if they're asking for, for money, you're just trying to get fame. And, but uh, I have interacted with, you know, a few of them that have very, uh, you know, convince, convincing uh, information that they've given me. And I think that there is, there's something to it, but I think everyone has uh, these intuitive abilities to them that they can tap into this, but some, you know, can access it easier than others. It's, I guess it's like playing an instrument or being good at a sport. You know, some people are able to tap into these things easier than others. And some of them just have good intuition and maybe uh, are con artists. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly, right? They do like the mirror read kind of thing or they do a cold. It's just how they ask the questions and how they get you respond to it. Then they, can, they see they're on the right path, so they're just going to keep and they'll say, you know, say stuff. I, I sense that you lost someone. Someone, was it a father or a father? And you go, no, no, okay, how about an uncle? You know what I mean? And they'll just kind of go and they're like, yeah, 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 it was my uncle, right? And yeah, so you got to be really, really careful with that. <laughs> like, but I, I agree. I think most people have some form of ability, even just to, in terms of empathy or, or can pick up on a vibe of a place. And we just run it off as being instinct more than anything else. Very cool. Uh, well, before you head out, tell us a little bit about the book you're writing right now, uh, which is just another paranormal investigator. Yeah, th that's exciting. It's, it's Peter and I writing it. We actually just last week signed the book deal, official book deal beyond the publication. So it's going to get published within the next year. And it's documenting kind of Peter's 
career in the paranormal. He's been doing it for 27 years uh, all over the world. So we just talk about some of his big cases, some of his beliefs, and I try to back it up with my own research into the places he went and just, you know, pooling what information I can gather from other groups and sites and sort of about the paranormal. Uh, and actually we had, we did a name change. It's now called, I want to believe one man's journey into the paranormal. And that was just a last minute change that we made here right now, but it's, it's pretty cool. Um, Peter was hesitant again to, to, to do the book and tell his story, but he had so many good ones. Um, and he and I were on into the fray with Shannon Legro, and she was one of the partners in beyond the fray. And she told Peter on the show, it's like, man, you got so many good stories. You should write a book. And he's like, ah, oh, no, 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 no. And in my head, I wrote for newspapers for 10 years. I'm like, I could totally write that book. So I followed up with her and like, are you serious about maybe doing something? She's like, oh yeah, for sure. So I talked to Peter and we ended up writing it and started spent the whole summer writing it. And we're now just at the uh, editing stage and picking out a cover design and, and all that. It's pretty, pretty exciting, pretty exciting stuff. Awesome. Jason, thank you so much for coming on tonight. Before you head out, just let everyone know if they want to check out your, uh, your show and um, anything else ab uh, about your, uh, your book or anything else where they can, where they can do so. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the show is We Want to Believe, and it's available at Joe Blow Horror Videos. And if you go on Facebook and search out We Want to Believe the series, you can find it that way as well. Uh, and then the book will be published by Beyond the Fray Publishing, which has a, its own website, and a Facebook presence as well, as well as on Instagram. Awesome. Very cool. Jason, thank you so much again. Uh, I'd love to have you back on in the future, uh, possibly after the book comes out. And uh, for everyone else, have an excellent evening. Thank you very much, Chris.